taken out of the last king of Babylon, and for a long time, people thought, actually, the last king of Babylon is a guy called Nabonidus, or Nebonidus, uh, depending on how you want to say it. Uh, and so uh, there was this tricky thing in academics, where, uh, where academics would say, everybody knows, last king of Babylon, uh, Nabonidus, um, and yet your Bible says that it's a guy called Belshazzar that nobody's heard of. What you've got to do to be a Christian is to leave your head at the door, take your brain uh, out and leave it there because uh, really you can't have the two at the same time. You can't say the Bible is God's word uh, and at the same time um, that, the, that the final king was uh, Belshazzar. Back in 1880, a little cylinder was discovered written by Nevonidus um, and on it he referred to his son Belshazzar. Uh, among the same finds uh, was a... a, 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 a an engraved slate uh, on which Nevonidus speaks about how he had a religious experience. Uh, he headed off on a kind of a pilgrimage and he left the kingdom to his son, Belshazzar. So Belshazzar is this kind of uh, puppet you know, or, or stand-in king. He's second in charge, which is actually why when you get to Daniel, 3, uh, Daniel 5, you see that he offers Daniel to be the third in charge of the kingdom bit of a strange thing. He can't offer him to be the second in charge because that's who Belshazzar was in the first place. And so all of a sudden what happened was that history corroborated what the Bible had said uh, all along. We're going to dive in and we're going to find Belshazzar. We're going to find him in the middle of a feast. We're told there are about a thousand people there. Uh, he's got wives, concubines, uh, wine galore. It's spoken of a lot. Uh, and what does he do? In his drunken state, he, he sends for some articles that we found in, in chapter one of Daniel. Um, some cups that were taken from God, Yahweh's temple. Uh, and, uh, and he uses them uh, to, uh, to, to continue drinking from uh, and to praise his gods of gold uh, and silver. Uh, and so God, well, the writing was on the wall. Um, if you've heard that phrase, it comes from Daniel 5. God literally writes on the wall. We're told that Belshazzar's knees knock together. Uh, that Belshazzar, um, that his, his color fades. In fact, the, the, the original language speaks really clearly about uh, the cords of his bowels were loosed. In other words, this was a man uh, who, who literally lost bowel control because of the fear that he had. Like in the earlier chapters, he calls for the, 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 the kind of um, leaders to come and tell him, the, the wise men to come and tell him what's going on. They can't do it. And so Daniel is called in. And it's at that point that we're going to join our narrative uh, for today. And Matthew's going to come and read us from Daniel chapter 5. Then Daniel answered the king, You may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. Your majesty, the most high God, gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness 
and glory and splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, all the nations and peoples of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like the ox, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven, until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and sets over them anyone he wishes. But you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this, Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines, drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand, but you did not honour the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. This is the inscription that was written. Mene, mene, tekel, parsan. Here is what these words mean. Mene. God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then, at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple a gold chain was placed around his neck and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. Thanks, Matt, for reading that for us. I'm just going to lead us uh, in a prayer. I'm actually going to use a prayer that's one of the Anglican prayers uh, for last week, but I think it's, it's helpful. Blessed Lord, who caused all Holy Scripture to be written for our learning, help us so to hear them, to read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that through patience and the comfort of your Holy Word, we may embrace and forever hold fast the everlasting life which you have given us through your Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. God will not be mocked. God will not be mocked. Uh, we see that clearly uh, in this that is a, definitely a, a, a warning uh, passage for us. Here uh, you've got uh, Belshazzar who looks, who looks very powerful. 
And yet, by the end of this passage, he is dead, his kingdom is divided, and he is going to be somebody who will be forgotten about by all but the Bible until 1880 when a cylinder is discovered. He looks very powerful, but he's going to be forgotten. Why? What's, uh, what has Belshazzar done? What, what is the warning that we need to take from this passage? Uh, well, we see it, don't we, in 20, verse 23? Instead, you've set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. Belshazzar, you, you've set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. How has he done it? You've had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, wives, and your concubines have drank wine from them. You've praised the gods of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or understand, but you didn't honor the God who holds in his life, that your hand in his, sorry, in his hand, your life and your ways. Therefore, he has sent the hand that wrote the inscription. Belshazzar uh, looks uh, like he's got everything together. Uh, What does he do? He, He gets the cups from the temple and he uses them to worship his gods. God He takes God, Yahweh's stuff, and uses it to form pagan worship. That seems to be what the accusation is there. And we've got a God who will not be mocked. But it might be that you're thinking, okay, well, in which case, we're we're probably fairly safe on this. We tend not to have uh, gods of of gold and silver and uh, and wood. Um, We certainly tend not to take God's stuff um, uh, and and, and kind of sacrifice to them. So we're probably all right, aren't we? I mean, this this is definitely a danger for them, but it's not a danger for us. And yet, actually, we are more religious than we would like to think. Um... I think I'm right in saying that for the two youngest members of our church family, Faith and Fabian, um, I believe that they have now had three different prime ministers in their lives, which is impressive given that we were only announcing their birth a few weeks ago. Um, We're in a place of political kind of chaos, really. Uh, And it's not actually just England on this. Actually, the West generally is in a bit of a place of political chaos. Uh, And one commentator writing on this uh, is a lady uh, called Tara Isabel Burton. You may have heard of her. uh, She holds a number of PhDs um, uh, and doctorates from from different places around the place. Uh, But what she does is she looks at religion and she says, uh, religion is that thing which gives meaning, purpose, community, and ritual. They, They are the things that religion give. And what's happened in the UK, she argues, and in fact in the West more generally, she often focuses more on America, um, is, uh, is that organized religion like this has fallen, but with the rise of the internet, actually people are finding those things in formerly not religious areas. Uh, they're becoming, if you like, within their echo chamber, finding a community, finding ritual, finding purpose, uh, uh, and it agrees exactly with where they land She says this, let me quote her directly. The refractory nature of these new institutional religions, each one at its core a religion of the self, risks creating an exceedingly balkanized American culture. She means a fragmented American culture. One in which our desire for personal authenticity and experiential fulfillment takes precedence over our willingness to build a coherent ideological system 
or sustainable institution. She goes on to say, when we are all our own high priests, who is going to kneel? When everybody's a high priest in their own religion of self, how are we going to kneel before one another? How are we going to sacrifice some of those areas in order to work coherently with one another? And she says, actually, that's the problem that we're seeing politically at the moment, is that everybody's their own high priest. Everybody's in this religion of self, which means that they're not willing to compromise to work together with others. Now, that may or may not be something that you would go along with, but surely the idea of a religion of self doesn't seem that far from us, does it? We live in a culture that loves to serve self. And with that in mind, the warning of Belshazzar becomes all the more serious, doesn't it? Because if we are those who worship self, then we naturally take what is God's and we use it for the worship of ourselves. What do I mean by that? Well, it could be the obvious thing. We take the name of God, God's name which is so beautiful, so powerful, and we use it to serve ourselves, to, to, to express how angry I am about something by subbing it in for a four-letter word. I take the name of God and I use it to make myself look cool amongst others who are using the name of God in, a mis- in, in, in that kind of a way. Maybe we do it more subtly, though. Maybe uh, what we do, actually, is we, is we take things that God has given to us and we use them to serve us. Uh, our time, we thought about this a couple of weeks ago. Our money, uh, our bodies. Uh, am I using those in ways that is serving God? Or actually, do I more often use them to serve self? And if so, then I need to be careful because God will not be mocked. But maybe actually there's a danger that as I say this, we're in our mind thinking, yes, and those poor people who are going along outside this church, uh, those people, oh yeah, they're in real danger without stopping to realize that actually this puts us right in the firing line as well, doesn't it? In fact, it is possible even to use God's church as a place for self-service. To, to come uh, not just because we lo- long to know God better and we long to encourage others, but to come because we know we'll feel better about ourselves if we've done church this week, if I've ticked that off. We'd never actually say it out loud, but maybe there's even a part of us that thinks, yeah, then I can look down on my friend who doesn't come to church. You see, Taking God's stuff and using it to serve other gods, in this case the the God of self, is, is far more prevalent than we want to admit. And we've got a God who will not be mocked. There's Belshazzar holding in his hand uh, the cup to, to, to praise his gods of gold and silver and wood. And God says, you're holding in your hand a cup, but I'm holding you in my hand. You don't realize, Belshazzar, uh, that, that, that I'm holding you. And I'm weighing you. Here's, here's my verdict, Belshazzar. Mene. I'm holding you, and I've numbered the days of your life. And they're coming to an end. 
Uh, Mene, let me say that again. I've numbered the days of your life, uh, and they're coming to an end. Uh, Tekel, you've been weighed in the balance and, and found wanting. Yes, you can feed a thousand people. Yes, you look wonderfully impressive, but you're, you're wanting spiritually. Belshazzar, Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and to the Persians. And again, this is a judgment call on Belshazzar's life, isn't it? And actually, it's a judgment call on our lives as well, isn't it? I'm holding you in my hands. Our days are but as grass. We flourish as a flower in the field. The wind goes over and it's gone. Our days are numbered. Tekel, you've been weighed in the scale and found wanting for we all fall short of the righteousness of God Uh, none of us uh, is in that scale and looking perfect in comparison to who uh, God is and we have a God who will not be mocked this is a warning uh, and yet it might be that as you're, as you're reading this and uh, as you sort of see uh, this go on and see that it ends with, um, with that very day, Belshazzar uh, losing not only his throne but his life. We see that in verse 30. Uh, in fact, the history books again corroborate this. We see from Herodias uh, that, that that night, uh, even as the party was going on in the center of town, the Medes and the Persians, they, they kind of diverted the river Euphrates so that they could walk into the city along the riverbed. And we're told that they took the outside of the city while there was still laughter and dancing happening in the center. Even as the feast goes on, Belshazzar's writings on the wall, this is a warning. And yet, it might be that you think, wait a second, this, this seems kind of harsh. You know, like, we spent four whole chapters with Nebuchadnezzar. We saw him again and again hearing from God. Uh, We saw God even humble him, uh, making him uh, into one who thinks of himself as a cow for a time in order to humble himself. Where's the warning here for Belshazzar? And yet God has given him a warning. Do you remember how the passage started? Your majesty, the most high God, gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Because of his high position... This is verse 19. Uh, he gave him all the nations and peoples of every language, um, dreaded and feared him. Those, uh, those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. And he goes on to explain everything that we looked at two weeks ago. Now, I'm not going to ask you for a show of hands, but how many of us, when that was read, were thinking, I heard this just two weeks ago. Like, we've, we, we read this. I mean, come on. Uh, this, these are long passages. Why are we reading this again? Well, we're reading it again because that's exactly the point. In fact, if you read the book of Daniel, this is the third time that you've heard uh, almost verbatim the same thing happening to Nebuchadnezzar. But why? Because he wants us to get it. Verse 22, But you, Belteshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. He's, he's had the warning. He's had the warning again and again and again, and Belteshazzar has not listened. He knew what had happened to his forefathers. He knew uh, that 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 pride led to a a humiliation, and yet he will not learn. He will not listen. 
In fact, even in this passage, he doesn't listen. He promises Daniel that he could be the, the third highest in the kingdom. How did Daniel start? Don't, don't give me your honor. Give that to somebody else. Give, give your prize to somebody else. Where does Daniel end up? Receiving all the stuff that he didn't want. The stuff that he said he didn't want. That in fact, interestingly, although Belshazzar is fearful when he sees the writing on the wall, we don't hear any kind of repentance or sorriness from him. He's been told again and again and again. I was told, uh, I think it's an apocryphal story of a new vicar uh, who arrived in a new parish. I don't know what that's like. And um, uh, he, he stood up and, uh, and he preached uh, the most incredible sermon ever. It, I mean, it was, it was staggering. People were talking about it. It, was, it went viral on Twitter, all those things. Uh, and so the next week, the, the church was packed. He stood up and he preached the exact same sermon again. People thought, okay, that's a bit strange. Busy weeks, early, early start. The week after, he stands up, he preaches the same sermon again. And people are beginning to think, oh, come on. You know, we've heard this one three times now. They speak with the wardens. The wardens have a bit of a chat to the vicar that week. He says, I I see, I see, yeah, I see. Stands up the next week and he starts exactly the same sermon again. And there's outcry. People are standing up and saying, come on, we've heard this. What are you doing? You work one day a week. Come on, seriously. The vicar says, I'll stop preaching it the day you start living it. I'll stop preaching it the day you start living it. God says, I'll stop telling you about Nebuchadnezzar the day that you listen. I'm warning, I'm warning, I'm warning, and God will not be mocked. In a few minutes' time, we're going to gather at uh, a communion table. The the old liturgy for that uh, used to say this, as we gather at the Lord's table, we must recall the promises and warnings given to us in the Scriptures. And so examine ourselves and repent of our sins. The scriptures warn us too. They show us again, God, the sovereign God, will not be mocked. He won't be mocked. In fact, they say, if you're, if you're coming to this table and you're doing so lightly, as if it's some small thing, as if you can live how you want out there and just pop in here, that's a very dangerous place to be because God will not be mocked. If you're coming to the table thinking, I'm quite happy and complacent in my sin. God says this, I do that, that's fine. We need to be warned. Jesus warns us more so than anybody else in the Bible. He, he calls it hell. And yet, what hope is there then? For people like Belshazzar, for people like me and people like you, people who are in the hand and found wanting. Well, amazingly, God will not be mocked except for the time when he gave himself to be mocked. You see, there was another king 500 years later. We don't know if his knees knocked together, but we do know that they fell to the ground. We don't know what complexion his face was, but we do know it was covered with sweat like drops of blood. Why? Because he knew that he was facing God's judgment as well. Difference is, for him, it was not because of anything he was, had done, but he was facing God's judgment in order to go to the place Belteshazzar goes to. 
not Bel Belshazzar, I'm doing it now. Belshazzar goes to, that he takes the punishment that we deserve. He dies the death that we deserve. So that people who are found wanting, people like you and me, who take God's stuff and worship ourselves so that we can go free. And so the communion liturgy went on. Take this holy sacrament to your comfort and make your humble confession to Almighty God meekly kneeling upon your knees. If you're here and you struggle with sin and you're convicted, but you trust in Jesus Christ, you see that he took the death that you deserve, then come and take this meal later on and do so confident that he has taken the death that you deserve. Belshazzar was warned again and again in the history books. He chose to ignore it. And he saw, and he saw that God is God, not a God to be mocked. As we come to pray to finish time, just looking at God's word now, I, I just wonder, it might be that there are some who are here today and, um, and actually you, you know you know that you live for yourself and you don't know Jesus. If that's you, I wonder whether today's the day actually that you need to trust that for the first time. Maybe, though, you, you do know Jesus and yet you've just become blasé about sin. Maybe in the quiet it's time to come back to him to own those things before him, to prepare your hearts to be taking communion later. Maybe, though, today you are deeply convicted of your sin and you're really struggling. And if that's you, you need to hear that Jesus took the punishment you deserve, one far worse than Belshazzar's, so that you can come to him. Let me pray. Oh, Father God, thank you so much for your word. It is uh, a challenge to us at times. It is a warning to us. But like any good and loving father, you, you long to be clear with us. Help us to hear the warnings and to heed the warnings of your word. So, Father, I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.